content alert. This episode contains an account of animal slaughter and of sexual assault, both taken directly from the pages of the Bible. Listener discretion is advised. Before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the one who was sacrificing, Give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, Let them burn the fat first, and then take whatever you wish, he would say, No, you must give it right now. If not, I will take it by force. Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for they treated the offerings of the Lord with contempt. 1 Samuel 2, 15-17 The Bible was written in a world where people had a very different understanding of many things. One of the reasons why I love to retell the stories of the Bible is because when they are laid out as narrative, we can't help but realize just how bizarre they really are, according to our way of thinking. The amazing story of Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of Eli, is a perfect example of that. They, according to the Bible, were perfect scoundrels, and as such, I suspect that they have many things to teach us about dealing with the scoundrels that we encounter in the world today. This is Retelling the Bible. Episode 5.3 Where's the beef? The day had finally come. Adalia had brought together his entire family, not just his wife, Merav, and his two sons, but also his younger brother's family with their two young daughters. His aged mother was also there. It would be her first time going to Shiloh since his father had passed in the last winter. This was the day that all of them had been looking forward to for many months. And there, of course, was the reason for this celebration. It was a yearling cow. He had raised it by his own hand over the last year for this very purpose. And now it was full-grown, plump, and beautifully formed. And so he had gathered his extended family together with their servants and hired hands, and they were all going down to Shiloh. 
it was time for them to eat some meat. The diets among the people of Israel were very simple in those days. They ate bread and barley cakes, figs and raisins and olive oil, and occasionally a bit of dried fish from the distant Sea of Galilee. But meat was very rarely on their menu. Everyone understood that eating meat was a sacred act. How could it not be when one living thing gave its life so that another might live and thrive? And so, when it came time to slaughter an animal like this, it was very important to do it just right. As they went down the road, they drove the animal before them. They sang and told the old stories of Moses and of the wandering of the people in the desert. At one point, Adalia's younger son, who was just coming to that age when children are full of questions, asked him, Father, why do we have to go all the way to Shiloh to slaughter our yearling? Could we not stay at home and feast in our village? People used to think that, my son, Adalia answered. They would gather in their villages for great celebrations when their animals were ready for slaughter. They would cut up the meat with crude weapons and eat whatever they fancied, even the blood and the fat and strange organs. Whatever they couldn't eat, they left lying in the center of the village to rot. But they quickly learned that when they did this, they would be severely judged by the gods, who would send wild animals into their villages to ravage them, and often scourge the people with great sicknesses. And the people cried out to Yahweh, who, in his great mercy, called one of the great ancestors of Eli to become a priest for the people. And if the people brought their animals to a priest to be slaughtered, and the priest used his sacred blades to dispatch the animals, if the fat and the blood and other parts were burnt up on the altar to Yahweh, and the people ate all of the rest of the meat in the presence of the God, then Yahweh would bless them and save them from disease and ravaging animals. And so it is that when animals are ready to be slaughtered, we take them down to Shiloh and give them to Eli, the priest. Then we know that we can be safe from the judgment of the gods. When 
after more than a day's journey, the family finally arrived at Shiloh. The complex never failed to amaze them. There was the great stone altar that had been built without mortar. From early in the morning until late at night, there was always a halo of aromatic smoke around it. Nearby stood the great tabernacle, a massive tent made with fine linens in which sat, it was said, an ark, the great symbol of the covenant that Yahweh had made with the people of Israel. Other tents and huts completed the complex, and the place was always bustling with many people who came from great distances to sacrifice, as well as to trade and to seek rare and valuable goods. The family waited patiently, though the young cow itself seemed singularly impatient for their turn at the altar. When they finally came to the front of the line, Adalia was somewhat taken back when he saw a strange man waiting to welcome him there. For all his life, every time he had ever gone to Shiloh, he had been used to seeing the priest Eli there. Eli had already seemed old, even when Adalia was just a boy, yet somehow he had managed to convince himself that Eli would always be there. But here stood a young man with a black beard instead of gray. He introduced himself to the family and said that his name was Hophni, the son of Eli. He explained that he and his brother Phineas had taken over many of their father's duties, as the old man had gone mostly blind in recent months. And so the family proceeded with their sacrifice. What choice did they have? They all gathered around their animal, laying their hands upon it, while Hophni offered the words of dedication. Those words, at least, were familiar to Adalia. And then, with one swift stroke, the priest cut into the animal's jugular, while catching its blood in a great bucket, according to the prescribed ritual. The priest quickly went on with several more cuts to expertly remove the stomach and some other organs. And then he explained that his part of the task was done for the moment. He would send his servants over to divide the animal into the proper portions for the sacrifice. And so the family was left there for a few minutes, looking down at this animal that had really been part of their lives, of their family, for the last year. It was a moving moment for all of them, as they recognized that it had given its very life to offer strength 
and health to all of them. Adalia's youngest son was perhaps most moved of all by all that he had seen. And once again, he was full of questions. Father, he wanted to know, why does our sacrifice need to be cut into portions? Why does that matter? You shall see, my son. The men will come and they shall set apart certain portions that properly belong to the god, the blood, the fat, the stomach, and some other parts all belong to Yahweh. If people eat them, especially if they eat a great deal of them, they will sicken and may die. And so we give these things to the Lord, so that we may eat our feast together with God. But the rest of the beast, that shall be for us. We shall take it, and we will cook a stew that we shall all enjoy together. Well, except, of course, for the priest's portion. The priest gets part of our supper? The boy wanted to know. Yes, of course, Adalia explained. The priests are so good at this work because it is all that they do. They deserve to be paid not only for themselves, but for the maintenance of this whole complex, so they will get some of our stew. Here at Shiloh, it works like this. When we receive our portions, we will go over there, to that little shop, and we will rent one of the cauldrons. We will build a fire and cook the beef in it. And then, at some point while it is cooking, one of these servant fellows will come with a big three-pronged fork and plunge it into our pot. Whichever piece of meat he fishes out on it will be given to the priest. It's just the way it's always been done here. And it is fair, because it means that the priest receives only what God chooses for him to have. The boy nodded at this explanation, but both he and his father would be very surprised at what would happen next. cried out in exasperation. It is never done like that at Shiloh. The servant who was holding the big roast clearly didn't care. My Lord Hophni the priest said that I was to bring him this piece of meat, and I'm going to bring him this piece of meat. But, but, but look at it. Adalia sputtered. It still has some fat on it. 
The fat is supposed to go to Yahweh. Everybody knows that. <laughs> well, the servant smirked. Apparently, Hoffney has learned about this, this new thing. It's called roasting. He says that if you roast some meat like this with a bit of fat on it, it tastes delicious. Much better than those stews that you folks make. So he doesn't want your cooked beef. Not anymore. And the priest is in charge here. The whole family was completely outraged at this terrible breach of the customs of the sanctuary. But there really was nothing that they could do. They took the portions that had been left for them and began to cook their stew, even as the smoke from the rest of the offering began to rise from the main altar. The food was good, of course, but the whole incident of the roast had cast a pall over their mood. Nevertheless, Adalia made sure that everyone ate well and that no one lacked for anything. was finally finished, and the family laid around contentedly digesting. Adalia and Mirav exchanged glances. They knew that there was one thing more that they had to do before their journey home. They had another child, their eldest, a daughter named Hadassah. They had brought her here the last time they had come, to dedicate her for a time to be one of the serving girls at the door of the tabernacle. They longed to see her again, and had indeed been looking everywhere, hoping to catch a glimpse of her ever since they had arrived. But there had been no sign of her. This was nothing to worry about, they had told themselves. It was probably just that she was not on duty today. But they knew that they could not leave without seeing her. They had brought her some things from home, including a new tunic that Mirav had made especially for her. So they left their two boys with the rest of the family and headed off into the servants' quarters. After asking a few people, they found her hut. She was alone inside, and she was so glad to see them. She leapt up in joy and squeezed them both so tightly but almost immediately they could see that there was something that was not quite right in her. She was no longer the same joyful girl that they had left behind only a few months ago. Something had changed, and it did not seem to be for the good.
she didn't seem to want to talk about anything that had happened to her since they had left her. She only wanted to hear them tell of people and events back home. But her mother looked at her intently and finally persuaded her to tell something of her experiences here at the sanctuary. Finally, the story came flooding out. It had to do with Phineas, the brother of Hophni. Apparently, shortly after she arrived, the older brother had seen Hadassah, and she had been summoned to his tent late one night. She had been given no choice in the matter. She soon learned from the other girls that this was actually a common activity at Shiloh and that both brothers engaged in it. Hadassah hadn't known what to do. She didn't want to tell her parents because she was afraid that they would blame her, reject her. She felt so powerless and so very alone. Her parents comforted her as best as they could, but they too didn't necessarily know what they could do. Adalia was completely furious because of everything that he had seen happening at the sanctuary and how things had changed since he had last been there. If things were this bad at Shiloh, then surely it was a sign that all was not well among the people of Israel. Their sacrifice completed, the family did head back home. Her parents had promised Hadassah that things would change for her. Adalia had come up with a plan. Just before they arrived back at the village, he turned aside and went to visit a man who was well known as being a man of God. He with his reputation, might have the power to speak to and to challenge what was happening at Shiloh. Adalia told the man everything that he had observed at the sanctuary, and how the priests, Hophni and Phineas, were using and abusing their positions of power. God had raised them up, for the purpose of serving the people, for keeping them safe when they sacrificed and ate their animals. And yet, they were clearly only interested in serving themselves. The man of God listened gravely. He, too, was alarmed to hear of this scandal in Israel. He promised that he would go, 
that he would speak to Eli, the old priest. Surely Eli didn't know what his sons were doing. Surely, once he found out, things would change. But here was the problem. Eli did know. He had known for a while all that his sons were doing. He had known that it was wrong. He had told them that he didn't like what was going on. But they hadn't listened. They certainly hadn't changed anything. What was Eli going to do? Remove them from their positions? When the man of God went to Eli and spoke to him, it seemed that there was nothing that would be done. Eli and his family, who had been specially chosen and set aside by God for such an important role among the people, were doomed to be rejected and forgotten by God. The ancient priests of Israel and of many other nations, were not merely religious leaders as we think of them. The great majority of the people only supplemented their diets with meat on an occasional basis, and sacrifice was the way that they did that. Most of the sacrifice was eaten by the worshippers. The priest not only provided a blessing on the meal, but also the vital service of safely slaughtering and butchering the animal. The priest also included God in the meal by burning up all those portions of the animal that would not be eaten. For this vital service, the priest was generously rewarded with a portion of the meat for himself and for his family. Because they provided such vital services, the priests had enormous power and influence. What we have in the story of Hophni and Phineas is a story of priests who abused their power and authority to enrich themselves to obtain portions of the sacrifice that did not rightly belong to them, and, most heinously, to rape the women who served in the sanctuary. This story rightly condemns the two young priests for the abuse of their power. But it is important to note that the greatest criticism is saved for Eli, their father, who knew of their transgressions 
and yet failed to do anything about them. As such, this story certainly has many things to say about the various scandals involving abuse of power in our modern religious institutions as well as in other parts of our society. That is it for this episode of Retelling the Bible. Please subscribe so that you can get the next episode in a couple of weeks. A five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or some other podcasting platform is a great way to help other people find this podcast. The theme music for the podcast is Ada. The mood music for this episode is Ritual. The music is by Kevin McLeod, licensed under the Creative Commons, and can be found at incompetech.com. You can contact me on Twitter at Retelling Bible, on the Facebook page Retelling the Bible. Show notes for this episode have been posted at retellingthebible.wordpress.com. This is Retelling the Bible, and I have been your storyteller, W. Scott McCandless. Thank you.